Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Visit us soon at our new State College location. This is the Blue White Breakdown. The premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown. Brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Bob Flounders and David Jones. Another edition of the Blue White Breakdown. And I got to say, Bob, I've outdone myself today because... (laughs) It is June, and there's only so much we can talk about Sean Clifford and the quarterback situation. So I thought, what the hell, the NBA Finals are going on, and what an interesting Finals it is. And so I've got my buddy uh, from the Boston Globe, uh, ex of the Boston Globe, but uh, uh, author uh, and probably the most knowledgeable basketball guy I've ever met, Bob Ryan, is with us today. Bob, how are you? Good, going fine, healthy, everything's good. We'll get to some Penn State football, but just your general impressions on last night. What a fascinating topsy turvy! And I know, I know you're not nuts about three point the three point age <laughs> NBA basketball. It's kind of a make or miss situation. But I thought last night was really, really interesting. And we're talking uh, uh, Tuesday morning for about the the game five. Well, it was certainly the thing that stands out is that the Warriors won what with Curry not making a single three. In the, in the wake of his spectacular performance in the previous game and, and his entire performance in the postseason. They found a way to win, and, and uh, that's much, much to their credit. Uh, I'm sure that people wouldn't have believed it if somebody told you Curry would not make a single three that they would win the game. So good for them. That's good. It was, the game had ups and, you know, uh, back and forth, NBA ebb and flow. From a Celtic point of view, a new problem cropped up. Free throw shooting. <laughs> they missed 10 free throws. And uh, there were 21 for 31 from the line. That's not that's not normal. It happened, and including it, a couple it, by Tatum. Late. Tatum, yes, he went he, he went 0 for two at a, at a at a key juncture. Absolutely. So, and they 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 have a lot to regret, a lot to rue, dating going back to the fact that you know people are, aren't happy that they lost uh, the the previous game at home, game four. But it's a series, right? They all people have to stand. I thought it was definitely going to go six at least, and it will naturally now. And um, the Celtics have been, I hate to use that overused word, resilient, but they have been, they had a bounce back capability, I'll put it that way, all throughout the playoffs. This is the first time they've lost two in a row. You know, now they're, they're still trying to learn how to win. And the Warriors have got the, the great core, the core three, who have proven they know how to win. And what a lift they got from, from Wiggins last night. I'm wondering what the Timberwolves are thinking. You know, the people that, <laughs> oh this, my is God. The guy, this is the guy <laughs> they thought they had, and they never saw this guy. Wasn't it true that Jimmy Butler didn't want to play with those guys because they oh, you thought they were all soft, including Wiggins? Isn't that isn't that true? That's well, that's what you hear, and 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 it, it certainly didn't work work out. Towns was part of the problem too in the in the Butler eye. But here's Wiggins, and he was tremendous. He out he outplayed Tatum, frankly, very very handily, and uh, and and without that performance, they probably don't win. This is a classic jinxy moment, uh, Bob Flanders, because. Does Bob Ryan know what Jinxie means? <laughs> no, he doesn't need to know. I'm known as I'm known as Jinxie the Black Cat. You might want to explain that, Bob. There's there's a pretty well established history of David <laughs> making proclamations or writing something and the exact opposite happening. Uh-huh. Proclamation is probably the correct word because I have to say it with vehemence. I'm texting Gordy Jones near the end of Game One and I see Wiggins 
kind of back off on a drive against Jason Tatum. I went so far as to to go back and tape it with my iPhone and send it to Gordy and said, I've seen enough of Andrew Wiggins. That's (laughs) He is never going to be worth anything. You know, it was, it was like Howard Eskin saying, you know, the, the, (laughs) you know, you know, we've all made our, our our regrettable (laughs) announcements. Uh, You know, I mean, I said categorically after game four, uh, that the only way, that, and watching how that transpired, even though the Celtics lost that game, the only way they're going to lose this series after Game Three, excuse me, uh, and they have to, is that as if they beat themselves. The turnovers are the thing. Eliminate the turnovers, they will win. They are better. Well, this they weren't exactly wrong. And the next game they did. They only had twelve turnovers in Game Four. They went back to their old ways last night, and untimely, untimely ones as well. Now we throw in the free throw thing because I don't know what. I don't know what to think anymore. I really had completely convinced myself, though, the Celtics, if, if they both brought their A games, that's that's all how I always look at these things. Who, if 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 every if who everybody brings their A game, who's the best? And I thought the Celtics had a more had more capability, more ways to beat you, more stuff going for them than the Warriors did. The Warriors' number one thing was Curry, and Curry stepped up and and, and game four and proved yeah, that. bigger, bigger, tougher, younger the Celtics. Yeah. This, these whole playoffs have, have proven the, the futility of predictions, uh, frankly, and why I don't bet. And, and I mean it. So <laughs> I, I've never wanted, I never had a gambling mode, a mood, and, and uh, how you could bet this stuff, uh, I, I don't know. But uh, I, I certainly wouldn't even have any interest in it. it well, I can't, I can't have you on without entering into where, especially after last night, because he, the, I think that broke a 233-game streak. Yeah of at least one three, and yeah. still Curry had a real impact. I went back and watched the, the game this morning. A real impact on the game at the most important time because he was feeding Wiggins. Mm-hmm. He was putting Wiggins in position to do what he does. There were a couple shots that Wiggins made, and then he made one on his own over, over the top of Robert Williams. Wiggins had three really important hoops there in the middle of the third quarter, and, and Curry kind of instigated two of them and made made it he fostered him you have written the biographies of bob cousy john havlicek larry bird you know that i mean how about that bob and you know this league where at this point would you put steph curry because it's kind of a hot topic oh yeah i know it is it's in the pantheon of nba players all time great barroom topic and it's a legitimate one he has inserted himself into the conversation of the top 10 players of all time he has inserted himself in the now on my particular personal list. There are eight. I'm not. I won't allow you to argue. We, we, I draw the line at eight. I got you eight. You know me. You know me, Bob. Okay. Well, I mean, I, yeah, you can argue, but you'd be wrong, as I say. You know. So, <laughs> that's, that's okay. Eight guys, and, and we're just going to go because of you know age and chronological, etc. Uh, Russell, Wilt, Kareem. Any list of the top ten players in the history of the NBA, and very likely any list of the top five, has to include three centers. Those three centers. So there, and now a top 10, there's no argument. So there's three right there. Then comes Michael and LeBron, the next cluster, draw a line. Then comes Magic and Larry and Kobe. That's the next cluster. Now we're down to eight. Now, now for me, the arguments begin. And among the candidates, Duncan, Oscar and Jerry, Olajuwon, the one that doesn't get anywhere enough credit is Havlicek, Dirk Nowitzki. I'm, I'm forgetting because he was, he was a truly great player. Uh, that, that, but, that, but not Irving, not Irving, not Dr. J. Not a, yeah, he said not. He said not. See, I knew this is trouble. I did this list. <laughs> no, I did this list an hour ago in anticipation of our conversation. I'm and, arguing. And anytime you do a list, you forget. <laughs> it. 
So okay. add him to that list. I certainly will allow him to enter into the conversation. But he's not going to be top 10. I can promise you okay. that. Now, there's certain people. There's a, there's a name missing that people say, oh, where's Shaq? Well, I just, I, 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 I'm not a big Shaq fan. Number one, Shaq was an indifferent rebounder, which means as a center with his body, he should have led the league in rebounding countless times. He never led it once because it wasn't a priority for him. You don't even have to make that argument. Yeah, he make, got rebounds make, that it yeah. came to him. He didn't get rebounds that didn't belong to him. Oh, right. I forgot another name in the list. Very likely uh, in the top. Moses. See, I think I'm going to forget somebody. Moses yeah. has to be in this discussion. So, and you talk about rebounding. But anyway, Curry, uh, you, you made a great point. And, and here's what you, you damn him with faint praise by simply saying he's the greatest shooter of all time, which he is. He's much more than that. I love it when he goes to the hoop. He has a great offhand. And I love it when he gets in that eight, 10 foot range with the floater. He's beautiful with that. So there's his offense, his individual capability. And then when these games are over and he's got his 35 points, oh, yeah, yeah, that's where they come from. Oh, yeah, he had 10 rebounds. Where'd they come from? Well, he got them, and, and, he, and he gets them. And, and, of course, he is an improved defender. In the, in the early days, you know, he was not noted for his defense. He's, he's adequate to the task now. I'll put it that way, okay? I, I, it's going to be awful hard to keep him out of a top 10. He's certainly in the discussion. Yeah, and, and, and what I said to early in this series is he can't do it all by himself, but he's a willing facilitator. He is a willing lead guard. Aside from all these great things he does, both as a shooter and a ball handler, he's a good teammate. He's a really good teammate, and he showed it last night on one of his worst offensive nights, maybe the worst offensive night he's ever had in a playoff game. He does this, and he's in the middle of the fourth quarter doing all this stuff. So I, I say, uh, I got to be in there. I, 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 one of the things came up this year. I, I was adamant that he's not a point guard. He's a shooter. He's a great shooter who who can pass. Uh, I don't. I just don't slot him. He's not slottable. He's not. He's he's a basketball player. He's a guard, uh, and he's more of a two. If you're going to go strictly speaking, he's not. He's not a point guard. He's not Steve Nash. He's, he's a not combo a guard. Yeah. He's not. He's not. Uh, you know, Isaiah Thomas. He's not. Not Oscar Robertson. He's not a point guard. He's something's different. He's just, he's he's Steph Curry. He's a unicorn, Bob, just like oh. Ben Simmons. Okay, fine. Well, oh, oh please. <laughs> that was a joke. Oh, right. uh, yeah. But Thank anyway, you, you can't overpraise him. He deserves all the praise he's getting. But we, we're going to have to get into Penn State football and Paterno. You got you got any Paterno stories or early days? No, just because a, people yeah. don't know this, but you were a, a really really big baseball fan. And I believe in, in, you've written a lot of books, but this one's my favorite. It's, Thank this you very much. This is my favorite. This got me through uh, election week in 2020 because I just turned <laughs> off all media. I turned off everything and did nothing but read this. It was soothing to me. Well, as long as you're plugging, I might as well plug the new one that's out. Yeah. Of course. I didn't have the new one. Okay. okay. We, we tell people what this is about. This is all your score sheets. I, have, I have all nine score books behind me on the, on the shelf that I've kept the USBWA score, excuse me, the BBWAA scorebooks since 1977, the opening night of the day of the 77 season when I was the, South, the Red Sox beat man. I have every book. I've scored every game I've been to at every level, <laughs> literally. And uh, that means vacation, whatever. And um, this is over 1,400 games. And Bill Chuck and I, Bill's a great baseball historian and researcher, uh, have, a, have a book out in which we mine the stuff that's in there. Some of it's historical. I was at Reggie Jackson's three home run game. I got him to sign, sign the book. A lot of uh, these involved wow. personal anecdotes as well, you know, that, and that I tried to interweave them into the commentary. At the top of each chapter is a, the representation of the scorebook page in question. 
And then what is this all about? Why this? Stuff like uh, uh, F.P. Santangelo getting uh, hit by his pitch twice in the same game, one left-handed, one right-handed, you know, uh, switch hitting to HBPs. Uh, <laughs> I got all kinds of stuff like that, so including some historical stuff. I've got a game in which the first meeting of guys, two guys who each had had an unassisted triple play against each other since 1930. That happened in 1997 when the Phillies arrived in Boston, their first year of interleague play. Mickey Morandini for the Phillies, John Ballantin for the Red Sox, each had a triple play. I got him each to sign the book. Yeah, you and have to I, say that like Harry Callis if wow. you're going on this show. I know. Mickey Morandini. Mickey Morandini. I know. You're right. You do. Um, anyway, all kinds of stuff. I write about what it's about. And Bill fleshes it out. He calls it polishing the gem. He's, he's a historian. He can tell you the last time this happened. Uh, he's got in, in additional uh, information about the key players that are involved. In anyway, I'll say this, David. I've written, that's the 15th book. And it's the first and only one that I could use the word fun in attachment to the process. I did this. I did this like five years ago on the 25th anniversary of the Duke, Kentucky greatest game yes. ever played. Yes. I, by accident, found my old score sheet up there. And it's got all these notations. I've got mine in the cabinet right next to me. I got Coach Jacobs on it. I'd like to well, get how did, you, how did you come up with this idea? Did you just happen upon it? or no. did it... Well, it's Bill Chuck's idea to be no book without Bill Chuck. We were having a conversation in April of 2020, and he was aware of my books. And he said, you know, I think you've got a book in those scorebooks. I scoffed. Oh, come on. Don't be ridiculous. Blah, blah, blah. He said, do me a favor. Run the idea by some responsible people and, and see what they think. And I did. And I got a positive response. Then I went to my agent, Andrew Blauner, and, and I said, here, what do you think? He said, well, man, maybe, yeah. And he sold it to Triumph Books in Chicago, and here we are. But there'd be no book without Bill Chuck. I don't know, think that I ever would have arrived at the conclusion that you could derive a, a book from my score books. Your voice there sounded like Paterno there for a minute. Yeah, yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll call some people. I'll talk to some people. This is the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a long-time patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our locations, including our new state college dispensary located at 1248 South Atherton Street. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. Bob, I wanted to ask you, because I think this would be something that Penn State football fans could relate to. What was it like? And I just when I think of Doug Flutie and what he did as a college football player back in the 80s, he played Penn State a couple of times, but just a magnificent player. One of the most fascinating athletes just for me to watch growing up. I was in my 20s when he played at Boston College and just for him to have the career he did there. And then at the NFL, I think he played in the CFL. I think he closed out his career with the Patriots, but what was it like? Maybe I'm sure there were some occasions where you either, you either uh, wrote about him or you got a chance to watch. He he just seems to me to be one of the great, great underappreciated college football players of all time. In my experience uh, as a fan and and writer, both, he was a unique phenomenon and, and we did not have a college athlete captivate the general public. BC was playing sellout houses in Gillette. Uh, at times, uh, they they went to they went to the three bowl games and uh, that they played in, and, and including the, the his senior year when he won the Heisman Trophy, and they went to the to the uh, Cotton Bowl. Uh, he was extraordinary. The only other thing, in, in really, in, in Boston sports history post war that I guess would would was this rivalry was Harry Aganis at BU in the late forties. 
uh, that was a phenomenon. Ah, uh, yes. They they had they played a national schedule thanks to him, and 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 it was, you know it was a very very big deal. Flutie, there's never been anything, be- and, uh, however, remotely comparable to it in, in Boston. Boston is not a great college sports town, as you know. It, it, it's the great hole in our sporting soul. And yet Flutie made it for those three years, his sophomore, junior, and senior year, particularly the two, because he he got he didn't, he, he got in the game at the end of his freshman year. Uh, he, now, he was recruited as a defensive back. And he, he was, I think he got supposedly the last scholarship given that year by. You're kidding me. I never oh, no. knew that. No, he was, he was not even, a, he wasn't, he was sitting on the end. He was like the sixth quarterback on the depth chart when, uh, as a freshman. And, uh, and he, and he got thrown into the end of a game and he lit up the sky a little bit. And, and then and sophomore year, you know, he was given a shot at, and you all know what happened. So it was a phenomenon until he put BC, he filled that place, made it responsible. They have a new basketball and hockey arena called Conti, new, you know, Conti Forum. It's like, 35 years old now it, it was the house that Flutie built it wasn't the house that anybody in hockey or basketball built it was the house that Flutie built admission soared uh for B- at BC put BC on a national map people that absolutely had no idea the difference between BC and BU you know and and you know understood uh very clearly it was Boston College because of Flutie it's all this time I thought it was the house that John Bagley built <laughs> John Hagley benefited from it, but no, it, it was the house that Flutie built. And there's no other college athlete in Boston uh, in the last, well, since Aganis, which take us back 70 years, that has had any impact is that, that anywhere near rivalry, rival it. He's still a huge sports figure in this town. What was he like, though, to maybe interview and talk to? What was his personality like? Oh. Was he a guy that you enjoyed interacting yeah. with or no? Yeah, smart guy, and he got it, and and I think he enjoyed celebrity. I think he embraced it well. I think he he, he knew how to handle himself. Yeah, he was a pleasure, and and yeah. yeah. And you mentioned the CFL. I have to tell you, he was yeah. he's one of their all time greats. He yeah. was an MVP, and uh, you, you know, and I I covered a great cup game that he won, <laughs> and and uh, and and Toronto. It was in Toronto. Uh, I always would much happier had it out there in cowboy country. And, you know, wait a minute, he, wait a minute. You covered a great cup game. That's right for him. Because it was Flutie. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's, that's oh, it, it, it was Doug Flutie. So you got to hear a, a broadcaster in the booth next door to say the forty, the forty-five, the fifty, the fifty-five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you can't exaggerate it. And uh, you know, he's still a, a, a major figure in Boston sports. The other thing I just wanted to ask you about is your just a, your opinion on uh, now that NIL is here for college yeah. athletes and especially. You know, football, college football in general, it's going to it's going to it's going to really uh, I think it's going to really dramatically change some things. And there's adjustments being made on the fly. What do you what did you think of it now that it's here? And what do you see for it in the future? Would you like to see it be done any differently or do you think it, it is what it is? And it should stay I, feared, I feared it uh, all along because I you, you could you could, you know, common sense told you that it's going to work to the benefit of certain people and to the detriment of others. And, and obviously the SEC was made for the SEC, was made for certain of the Big Ten schools, was made for Clemson. It was made for, uh, maybe it was made for uh, BYU, you know, out there and in that world that they run. You know, you see where I'm going. It yeah. was not made for Boston College, I can tell you that. Uh, <laughs> and and this is, it was already hard enough for them to recruit in the Big East uh, and then in the ACC, in the ABC, ACC I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be exponentially harder now because they're not going to be able to offer those inducements uh, that, that, that this isn't going to be, it's not an issue in Boston. Nobody's going to go see a, uh, somebody cut a ribbon at a, a, because of a BC offensive tackle is showing up at the, at the ceremony. It's not going to happen. 
it's a long, you know, as, you, as we know, it's an it's a very very uh, hot button hot button topic. The whole idea about payment, what should have been done, how the NCAA was reactive rather than proactive, and now they're stuck with this thing. Different states have different laws. You know, they got no control over this. I, I fear that it is going to be the the, the lead to the uh, the much discussed potential split of the of the Power Five into their own world. Already, there's been a stuff out there about the SEC saying we'll stage our own championship game, call it the championship game. College sports will never be the same again. And that's only one of the reasons. The other one is the transfer portal, which is completely uh, uh, college sports run amok. And and you combine the two, and and we, we don't know the full consequences yet, or, but that they're not good. They're bad. And I, as someone who goes back to 1952 when my father was assistant AD at Villanova and I got immersed in college sports and I've followed and loved college sports my whole life, I, I feel sick and sad because they're, they're messed up totally. and. And I don't see what the, where, the, where the solution is. Bob, boy, the BC is in a conference completely beyond its neighborhood, its natural neighborhood. Let's say we go back to a time before Penn State went to the Big Ten. Penn State could have been in the ACC very, very easily. I've written about that. They were only approved at the, at the 11th hour in the big meeting among the Poobahs because Donna Shalala basically got the extra votes. <laughs> uh, that, that thing was 5-5 five, five with the next vote to come. And Penn State would have been, uh, they would have reneged on Penn State's invitation. They would have gone to the ACC. Gene Corrigan told me that would have been his next call. In fact, he was pissed off that they didn't ha- invite him in the first place. If none of that happens, and there is a Northeastern League mm-hmm. with Penn State, a big dog, and whoever else, West Virginia, Maryland, Pitt, and and all of that in a northeastern football league would it have mattered to BC? Would that have made football matter more? I, I don't I don't know. I mean, when BC moved into the ACC, Gene DiFilippo was then the AD, and he was a football guy at heart. He had been a football coach. His son is a is a football coach, and he said, "We got to follow the lead dog. Miami's the lead dog. We're going where they go." And so um, I don't know whether they were the same thing at Penn State had been, you know, about Penn State that they had been a leader uh, in that regard. I don't know. I just know that. BC entered the ACC with good football and basketball teams and have not been able to maintain them at the level that they entered with. They entered uh, the 06 team that entered the ACC, lost to Duke by two in the ACC finals and and won two tournament games and were beaten by Villanova in overtime in the tournament uh, that year. Uh, The football team played a couple of ACC championship games early early on. And of course, then they became the first school ever to go winless in both football and basketball since in in a major conference since World War II (laughs) within a few years. And, (laughs) uh, you know, they they, they, they have a good football coach now who I fear they won't be able to hold on to, Jeff Halfley. And basketball's a little more life with Earl Grant than it did with Jim Christian. Anyway, do I have an answer, definitive answer? No, I do not have a definitive answer. I just think the forces conspired, you know, against BC. They are what they are. They're in a major professional town. They are the, the most significant, you know, the only player, you know, in football and basketball uh, and football at, at all. And the only reasonably big player in basketball. And yet uh, it, 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 they don't move the needle a lot around here. Well, I ask that because I, I think you have to be a part of a neighborhood and Penn state is a oh. giant brand where you can put them yeah. in a neighborhood without other teams, and it didn't matter. BC, I think it matters yeah. a lot more. Same, when same with went, Pittsburgh. When BC went to the ACC, uh, originally, uh, the closest competitor was Maryland, 400 miles to the south. <laughs> yeah. and they never belonged in it. The culturally, 
know, academically, sure, culturally and, and, and geographically, they have never had any business being in the ACC. In any way. Okay. I, 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 I swore I would try to do this. The, the, you know too many, too many things about too many topics. So <laughs> I, I wanted to make this possible without a right angle transition, but here it is. We're going to the dream <laughs> We're going to the dream team, and uh, because I want you to tell the story <laughs> before you get off about Boris Stankovic, the the Serb who came up with the concept. A lot of people think it was David Stern, uh, genius. And in this book, there's a great story about Boris Stankovic, a what was he, a meat packer, a meat um, meat a, inspector, meat inspector, inspector which I learned from Jack McCallum. Jack yeah. McCallum has written the definitive book on yeah. anybody who cares about the topic at all. If they want to know what the dream team was all about, how its origin and its execution, they must get the dream team by Jack McCallum. That is a Jack McCallum. Yeah. Okay. Report. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so people got this mistaken notion that the unhappy United States smarting from losing in the, the, in 19, uh, 88 uh, in Seoul, losing to the dastardly Russians, which of course were the Lithuanian all-stars really in retrospect, you know, and, and, uh, but they lost to Russia and <laughs> that this is our revenge had nothing to do with anything. It was not about that. This is entirely the body, the, the, the brainchild of Boris Stankovic, mm-hmm. a Serb, who had been a national the player in the national team was in love was in love with basketball was the executive I forget the the title was but the the poobah the, the big cheese in FIBA the International Basketball Association of the outside the United States and he wanted to raise the bar for the rest of the world by showing them how high it had to go if they ever want to be as good as the Americans when this came up for a vote America didn't vote for it might vote for it and and uh, and uh, so then we, we got dragged in and said, all right well all right, you want us we're gonna we'll get a good team for you okay <laughs> that's what you want Stankovic's idea and it had nothing to do with with seeking revenge for 1988 when it happened people were chastising us for beating up on these poor teams and we were just being bullies and all that. And they loved it. All they wanted was photo ops. It's a theme and the thing, I was there from day one. I was there from the first bounce of the ball in La Jolla at the first practice session, right to the last game against Croatia, the gold medal game. And I saw all these games and and the tournament in America's in Portland and everything that happened over there and every exhibition game, et cetera, et cetera. It all started with the first game against Cuba in which they asked to have a team picture taken with the USA before the game started, before they were prepared to take their beating. And that was, and I'll give you one other story to prove how crazy it was. The theme of the Olympics that year was beat me, whip me, take my picture. And, and I'll give you <laughs> exhibit A, they're playing Argentina in, in, in a tournament of the Americas. And Argentina has a, a nice six foot five inch guard named Marco Milanasio. I would say he would be like a good uh, A10 second team all conference, you know, or something like that. Good player, nice player. And he found himself on a magic on a switch in front of the Argentina bench. He's posting up magic by mistake, but magic wasn't even guarding him. He's pointing to the bench and he's yelling, Fotografia! Fotografia! (laughs) And that, that tells you what it was all about. They all were there to take their beating. You know. We'll finish. We'll finish with maybe a couple of Larry Bird stories, and you could do this forever, but I can't. I can't let you go without that. And there's there's this great page inscribed 
where you just list the things that you say that Yogi Berra probably said about half, maybe of the stuff that, that he was credited with saying, but Larry Bird said all these things. And the one, the, the one I love the most, and it may not really compare with him is he, he had a triple double in Salt Lake city and with nine steals on the side and was asked if he wanted to stay in and get a quad double. And he, and he goes, nah, I've done enough damage. That's true. That's a true story. And, and, uh, yeah. He, he, uh, Casey said, you want to, I think, yeah. Now I said, I've done enough damage. The other, the other story that to do with the Utah's he did run by Frank Layden, who was of course a wonderful guy <laughs> one night and, and said, hey, anybody can guard me. <laughs> so I'll give you one about guarding in 1986 they played three games a year in those days in Hartford I'm, I'm in the locker room before the game and they're playing the Cavaliers and and he said uh they were chatting he goes who's going to guard me and I forget, it was, I forget the guy's name was Ben somebody he's like a 6'8 guy a, a, a mediocre player I told him I think I could Ben and he goes Poof! and he goes out and he gets 29 in the first half so you know, <laughs> that was good he, he's, <laughs> Um, well, uh, I'm glad we had you on. I'm glad we could get you on. Yeah. Uh, I had Joe Crawford in the bullpen. In case, <laughs> in case. <laughs> but the NBA wouldn't allow it anyway. The NBA has a real problem uh, yeah. with, with, with interviews during this series. I think they, they're a little sensitive about the officials. Oh, sure yeah. So Joe, Joe is not. Uh... Anyway, uh, see you out there, and thanks a lot, Bob. Thanks so much, Bob. Guys, nice to be with you. Thanks for having me. This has been the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live.